0: Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast about the latest news and research from Birkbeck University of London. I'm Guy Colander. In this episode we focus on climate change which has been grabbing headlines recently. I'm joined by Dr Diane Horn, a reader in coastal geomorphology at Birkbeck, to talk about the latest climate talks, flood insurance in the UK and typhoon Haiyan. Diane Horn, thank you for speaking to us about these pressing matters. Firstly, what are your thoughts about international climate talks in general? We've seen last month in Poland, the UN met for the 19th time after the Earth Summit in 92. Um, What is your general comment on these talks?
1: I think the general feeling is that the political talks, the political dimension is not moving at the rate that scientific, knowledge is. Most scientists are fairly clear what the problem is and that the problem is serious enough that something needs to be done about it. And there doesn't seem to be the political will, or at least people aren't willing to put the political capital into getting this through. It seems like the, it's moved down the agenda where, the, where we can't afford to deal with climate change anymore because we have to deal with the poor economy. And that is obviously a political decision as well. Lord Stern's report showed quite clearly that there are going to be major financial impacts of climate change, that if we don't do something about it now, we're going to be paying for it later, quite literally. But in the long term, and planning for the long term, governments are going to have to invest to deal with the impacts of climate change.
0: And now let's move closer to home. Can we expect more floods in the UK as a result of climate change?
1: All of the indications are yes. Certainly, as sea level rises, there's going to be a, a greater likelihood of storm surge and coastal flooding. There, most of the climate models also suggest that we're going to get more precipitation-related flooding as well, too. So I think it would be prudent to plan for both inland, river, and coastal floods in the future to be increase.
0: And your research on flood insurance in the UK was published in Nature last month. Could you please explain what happens at present in the UK regarding flood insurance, as it's different from elsewhere?
1: The UK is an example of an almost entirely private scheme, although they are changing the way that it works. Up until now, since about the 19... in fact, since 1961, it's been run through a series of informal agreements between the insurance industry and the government. It was originally known in 1961 as the Gentleman's Agreement, and more recently as the Statement of Principles. And basically, the insurance industry agreed to cover all of the financial costs of flooding as long as the government paid for the flood defenses. And that arrangement pretty much lasted until about 1998, and then we started getting a series of bigger floods. And it really lasted for as long as it did because there were no major challenges to the system because there hadn't been any floods, were not significant floods. And then the insurance industry started paying out in floods in 98, floods in 2000, and then the big ones in 2007 with insured losses of about 3.2 billion pounds. And then last year, 2012, insured losses of about 1.2 billion pounds. And that during this, the insurers began to put pressure on the government to do a number of things, where they, if they were going to continue to write insurance policies, they expected the government to invest more in flood defenses. They expected the government to reduce inappropriate development on the floodplain. Those were the two main things. And the previous government was increasing investment in flood defenses. That has changed since the coalition came into power. And although they did in- increase the budget slightly after the floods in November of last year, they it would just meant that it was a slightly less of a cut. They haven't actually increased investment. And they have not been able to reduce the amount of development in the floodplain, partly because of the way the planning system works. It isn't actually possible for central government to control development on the floodplain. It goes through a planning and policy statement, which is effectively guidance from central government to the local authorities, but in the end, it's the local authorities that make the decisions. And in fact, the studies have shown that in the 10 years since the most recent renegotiation of the statement of principles, From 2002 to 2012, the incidence of building on the floodplain went up by about 12% compared to 7% in the rest of the country. So far from steering development away from the floodplain, there was actually more development in the floodplain. So we got to a stage where the insurance industry insisted that there was a change in the way things operated. And that's sort of where we are now.
0: And this is the the flood re-scheme. Uh, currently being negotiated between the Association of British Insurers and the UK government and what is proposed as part of the scheme?
1: It's a fairly complicated scheme. Basically what they've proposed is that about up to about 500,000 properties which is really only about 2% of the overall insured properties will be go into this fund. And I should say here that the other thing that's different about flood insurance in the UK in addition to being entirely private, is that at the moment flood insurance is included in the standard coverage, both in buildings and contents insurance, so you don't actually have flood insurance. Flood isn't even defined as a specific thing in your policy. So up until now it's been subsidized by other either low-risk policyholders or possibly other perils, but the level of the subsidy hasn't been known. So what they're going to do in flood re is they're going to identify these roughly 500,000 properties, which will go into the flood re pool. The flood component for these high-risk policies is now going to be explicitly known, and it's going to be capped. These are homes where the insurers feel that the premium that would be charged to reflect the real risk to the property is too high to expect somebody to pay it. So one of the things that we don't know yet is exactly how they're going to identify these properties. the The, the guide, what, what the government's put together has said that they will produce a register of properties at risk, but one of the criticisms has been we don't know quite how those properties at risk are going to be identified. It may be that there's some pop- pop- properties that every insurer agrees belong to the pool. The ones at the margin, we're not quite sure how those are going to be decided yet.
0: And what are the advantages and disadvantages of this approach, of this flood re-approach?
1: Well, the advantage for the insurers is that they, the government is going has said that they will legislate to compel all insurance companies to participate in this. What the insurers wanted and what hasn't been resolved is what happens if there's a really big flood. They were hoping that the government would agree to act as the insurer of last resort that at least at this point has not happened. So over time the idea is that flood re would break even basically. but and the flood Re pool is going to have to take out its own reinsurance policy to basically cover if there's a significant event in the early years before the pool has built up enough money. So the idea is that they'll get they'll get the premiums and then they'll get this extra ten pound fifty levy for every household and if they don't have to pay out in a particular year, that starts to build up for when they've got a big storm. But if they have a big flood before it's built up or more than it has, then somehow they've got to cover those losses. So the arrangement at the moment, or at least with the way is set out at the moment, is that the shortfall will be made up by ad hoc payments from each of its member firms from their own resources reflecting their market share in domestic property insurance. Um, But the risk assessment that they did beforehand said that the chance of... It being in deficit, therefore needing to draw an extra funds, funds sometime in a 20 year period, is estimated about 58%. So that's a fairly high insurance, fairly high probability.
0: So, in a nutshell, these 500,000 homes which are going to be identified and part of flood re will definitely benefit um, in terms of any flood, uh, but apart from a huge flood where there is some uncertainty about who would pick up the bill.
1: Yes, although the as subsidy is going to be phased out over 20 to 25 years. So 25 years from now, the expectation is that those 500,000-some homes would be paying the full rate. And again, we don't know how that's going to play out.
0: And you're sceptical about the impact of such an insurance scheme to stimulate climate change adaptation.
1: Well, flood rate doesn't actually allow for climate change. So it doesn't make any any allowances for increased flood risk. It also doesn't make any allowances for increases in development on the floodplain as well too. And there's nothing in it to provide an incentive for either communities to restrict development on the floodplain or for individuals to make their properties more flood resilient. And that's probably the biggest failing, at least in the first version of it, that what you would want to if you're designing a new insurance system you would want to build in something that would give people an incentive to reduce the risk and there isn't anything in there in fact once you're into that high risk pool it doesn't matter what your risk is you're just going to pay based on your council tax.
0: And what is required to reduce the risk of climate change related floods?
1: Obviously they need to continue to invest in flood defences but the the main thing which is going to affect climate risk in the future, or or risk to property in the future, is how much development there is on the floodplain. And so the most important thing that a government could do would be to find a way to restrict development on the floodplain, find a way to provide an incentive so that properties, at least if they're being developed on the floodplain, are developed in a flood-resilient way, which is something that other countries have addressed. But here, again, there's nothing to say if you build above the floodplain level that your insurance will be reduced, which is, of course, the main thing that happens in other, in other countries.
0: And the terrible typhoon that hit the Philippines on the 8th of November claimed around 4,000 lives and destroyed countless homes. Many commentators have said typhoon Haiyan is typical of the extreme weather events associated with climate change what are your thoughts about that
1: I think we don't know the there's it's difficult to attribute any one individual weather event to climate change the climate model certainly suggests that as sea surface temperatures increase that we may get more big storms so this I think People are more familiar with the Atlantic hurricane categorization, where they're talking about Category 5, and that's effective that this would be comparable to. And so we may not get more hurricanes, but we may get more hurricanes at Category 4 and Category 5. But that's, not everyone agrees about that. So th- I don't think the science is settled on that. What is clear is that if you have more building, if you have more development in the high-risk zones, then you're going to have more damage.
0: Dr Diane Horne, thank you very much for sharing your important and practical research about flood re. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. For more information about Birkbeck's news, events and courses, please visit www.bbk.ac.uk.